welcome to episode nine, part three. Um, be a freak every day of the week. This is the name. <laughs> that's the name of this episode. But um, overall, welcome to Tempest and a Temenos, where two life coaches discuss esoteric issues related to life, relationships, finding purpose, and self understanding. I'm Dr. Misty Marlowe. And I'm Suki Prelo, aka the Wild Soothsayer. And like I just said, this is um, episode nine, part three. If you've been listening to our podcast, you might recall that uh, we had just a whole series about kind of being your super freak and finding your superpower. Our first episode was called Freaks of a Feather Flock Together. It was about finding kind of your social circle or your freaky tribe. Um, the second one in the series was called First Freak, Then Chic. That was about funneling your freakiness into your creative pursuits and exactly how you define creativity and how it manifests. And then we're, we're kind of circling it up today and closing it up with this idea of finding your freaky superpower with regards to work and business. So if you know the flow of our show, I typically start out by presenting some of the really geeky research aspects of the concept because I am all psychology all day long. I love it it's my thing that um, totally rhymes by the way flow yeah. of the show <laughs> the flow of the show um I, I like that too I'm probably gonna have to use that in the future our our flow of the show um and so now we got a little tricky with actually finding research for this one because you can imagine there's not a lot out there that's like let's use the word freak and business together um you know business is a little bit more stuffy so uh what we saw or what i saw when i was doing all this research is this idea of more so of linking like creativity ingenuity um into this idea of being in the workplace so if you're doing some of your own research or if you're looking up some of the articles that I covered today. Just keep in mind, the word freak is not going to show up in it. That's our kind of unique uh, interpretation of that. We think about being a freak as really embracing the very unique parts of yourself, and that links directly to creativity and ingenuity. So if you have any specific interest in, in what we did talk about, creativity and finding your freaky social circle, make sure you go back and listen to those episodes, because we'll talk a, about it a little bit today, but we're not going to covered in depth. So just backtrack a little bit and listen. Um, so, you know, for today, again, just talking about that freakiness related to business, creativity, and ingenuity. So this ended up having a bunch of little different uh, rabbit holes to go down. <laughs> so uh, I had to like try to mentally organize it. And some of the original research that I started to find was about, hey, how can you um, like be essentially happy and manifest who of you who you are at your job. And I really like this because it is a huge topic that comes up in life coaching again and again and again is I'm not happy at my job. What the heck am I supposed to do? Do I just quit my job and go find a new job? Do I quit my job and become an entrepreneur and start my own business? Do I find a way to be happy at my job? And, you know, life coaching can help you sort out which path. A life coach will not tell you which path to go down. Because for some people, it really can be like, no, I, I need to stay at my job, but I just need to change how I think about my job or how I approach my job. For some people, it's like, oh, no, to be happy. Like you got to get the hippity dippity on out of there and maybe find a new job or maybe create your own business. Um, so it, you know, which path depends on the person. There's not one single answer to that question, but just do know about life coaching. We see people, if you're not manifesting passion and purpose in your life, somehow it is very consistent that people are just unhappy. And then the other thing that if people won't flat out say, I'm just not happy, I'm kind of a little depressed, a little bit anxious about the thought about going to work, what they'll say is I'm burned out or unmotivated. And it's like, oh, shocker of shockers, you're not motivated to do a job that you don't enjoy, where no aspect of who you are shows up in the work you do. Like, why would you be motivated? <laughs> like, but there, there are so many limiting beliefs that each person can individually work out with their life coach about the whole, like, I'm never going to be able to find a better job than this. I should just be happy to have income at all. 
um you're just and like we love to say especially for the ladies in the crowd quit shouldn't all over yourself yes please quit <laughs> shouldn't all over yourself like i actually feel like the hair stand up on my arm and somebody's like i guess i should i'm like what you about to say because i'm gonna go after it i'm gonna <laughs> attack that um so just like keep in mind there's there's multiple pathways um but you know if you're working with a life coach that's going to be a big aspect of it is just really finding out what works for you but releasing those limiting beliefs but i do see people like have those paths like there you do get to be your own person and there are some people that a work is like their job is just a job and they go they earn a paycheck they're not like yeah I'm so proud of what I do let me talk to everybody about it um you know it's like I go there and I, I do my job I do it to the best of my ability and then I clock out and I'm done and they're, you know, and that works for them. And I see them finding their passion, finding their purpose, expressing the uniqueness of who they are, finding the freaky selves elsewhere. They find it in their hobbies. They do things in their home. They have an exciting lives with their partners. Like that can be how it manifests. And for them, that's fine. But like, I, I wish I could say there are more people that can compartmentalize that way because like there is a part of my soul that's like, I'm, I just know there are jobs that we really need people to do that just like, in my opinion, the job does suck. Now I try to release my limiting beliefs that I'm like, okay, a job that you look at that you're like, oh my God, that's going to suck so bad. There is probably somebody out there that's like, oh my God, I love that. Like, I just love this idea that I'd sit in a cubicle and not talk to anybody all day and people would just leave me alone. And I would just do my thing on my computer to, to, to enjoy happiness. And I'm like, oh, ooh, no, like in a cubicle in front of a computer all day long. And that's I did see an episode of Dirty Jobs where a psychiatrist, and keep in mind, like he's done the whole like school organic chemistry, which terrifies me and raises my blood pressure to even consider trying to take like he did the whole thing, the fellowship, yeah. went into private practice, quit to become a septic to start a septic business and when micro asked him why he said he get tired of dealing with people's shit all day and he was much happier cleaning out septic tanks so it's that's just, um just, that's so ironic on some people you just you just converted to a dealing with a different type of people's shit but i totally understand where he's coming from like 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 some days you'd rather clean up a turd than talk to another human who's really getting on your nerve like i get that i get that but again like i love that example because it's like if you told me you were going to go around and clean up septic, i be like um uh no no I can't you can't make me you can't make me do it but yeah I get that I get it um and, and but part like like again like I I'm happy that there are people that can find passion and purpose in jobs that I don't necessarily understand how you could do that um but again like and if some people are really like let a job be a job yay more power to you but it is 2021 and I talked to a lot of people and like, let's say you do work at a, a clock in clock out job. That's usually retail fast food or something like that. And we're having like a whole cultural phenomenon right now with, uh, at least in the United States, not everywhere in the world, but in the United States with wage disparity and social justice in this whole, like with COVID, like this whole thing about people getting paid more for unemployment than they would be paid to go in and work fast food or retail jobs. And this whole philosophical divide over you're just lazy and want to you know just get a check from the government and people will be like well hold up um maybe i i don't want to go labor for someone and not make a living wage like is that really you're trying to tell me i'm lazy and what does it mean about the status of work in the united states that essentially like you could make more off an unemployment than going into work these wages. And there is such disparity between the people that are running the company that are benefiting from people's labor and what the actual person on the front lines is making. Cause there are some countries in the world that um, this is old research. So I probably need to look into it again, that there were actually government mandates that the highest level paid person, in the company could only make 400 times more than the lowest level employee of the company to ensure social justice and the lack of wage 
disparity. I need to look at where that was again. That was in my psychology of leadership it's class. It's still accurate yeah. to, I think it's still accurate, although I think that it might be, the the disparity might be widened, but it, there's still some, in the Scandinavian parts of the world, that yeah. still holds true. Um, and the, here's the thing, I've worked retail, I've worked fast food, I worked in Subway, those jobs are so stressful. Mm -hmm. You do not understand. I tell you right now, I have told young women, if you, if, if you are dating somebody and they are rude to people that work in retail, customer service, the person mm -hmm. at the fast food counter, the guy that runs the service station, like run screaming from the hills because that tells you so much about a person like mm -hmm. that person working at the drive-through for minimum wage like they are working a really hard stressful job just trust me on this and my wife managed fast food for years oh my gosh that job is so much more stressful than you think mm -hmm. and you hear this all the time like you know, it's a low skilled job, blah, 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 blah. No, it is a heavy duty customer service job. And people are really, really nasty, especially on Sunday after church. I don't know what happens when people get out of church, <laughs> but everybody's bitch switch is flipped and people are terrible. Yeah, you, just, you just had some Jesus. Shouldn't you be on your best behavior? No, like, they're not. No. <laughs> no, I think everybody's all pissed off sitting in uncomfortable pews for too long and they're, you know, pastor talking for too long. Yeah. To, I am late for Monday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. church and they are mad. Yeah. I mean, I love that standard. This, I know we're getting off on a little bit of a tangent, but I think this is very worthwhile. I have always used that standard that kind of the, how, how you treat like how, what some people call it, like the, what you consider to be somebody of less power than you. And I'm, that's how a lot of people view people in retail and fast food is that you have this job and it is a lower status job. So you are of a le lesser power than me. It tells you so much about the character of a person, about how they use their power. And do they use it to intimidate? dominate belittle someone else or do they like kind of just recognize that um like you are still a value and that's something I really have loved although whether or not people are really processing it on a deep level it's like oh like all y'all want to be like well you you work this because you can't get a better job and blah 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 um but I've seen a lot of people get their panties in a twist lately because they couldn't get their food at their fast food restaurants the way they wanted like down the street from my house there was one of the fast food places like you can have nuggets or one burger because we only got one person working, you know, the fryer back there. So that's what you get. You can get an order of fries and order of nuggets, or you can get a hamburger. You, you, that's all we have going. And you would have thought the world freaking ended, you little entitled piece of crap. Like, what do you mean? I can't have whatever I want off this menu. So all of a sudden those people became real important, didn't they? For you to be able to have the, the wealth of range of services that you have in your life. And that's where I've always been upset. Like I always use that trash man example. It's like before you want to be negative. It's like, have you ever toted and carried and fetched your own trash anywhere? That's some freaking disgusting stuff. So how about you be grateful for the person that takes away your trash and treat them with dignity and respect? Um, because it, the day you have to start doing that yourself, I bet your tune's going to real change. So, um, so, you know, overall, that was a long speech to say, we appreciate and value everybody out there who does any kind of job and even jobs that are perceived as being lesser power or lesser status by others. Screw people who want to judge you. If you are passionate about it, do it well and enjoy it and find your freakiness there if you can. Um, but also if you just don't have passion in your job, we totally understand why there, there is that pay differential and it's really hard to feel fulfilled in life in general when you're not making enough money to pay your bills um so but for that is it as much about the job as it is about the pay and about how you're being treated like you got to kind of tease out all those different aspects as well. So that's why sometimes you won't necessarily have to change your line of business, maybe just the location where you work so that you can get to a business that has a better culture, treats their employees with more dignity and respect. On average, if you change jobs in corporate America, by the end of your career, if you go to different companies, you will average making 20 grand more a year because if you stay with a company for whatever reason, they tend to not pay you commensurate with um, your worth 
as you would be if you left to go someplace else. So that's a, another sad thing that we just see about company. Like even if you're saying I'm staying out of loyalty, um, you're ultimately probably going to limit your overall life's earnings, um, you know, for whatever. Or if you have a limiting belief that says I just couldn't get a job anywhere else. No one else would hire me. Um, you might be really holding yourself back. And again, money's not everything. But try to be happy when you don't have enough money to pay your bills is my policy. It's like anybody that wants to blow smoke up your ass about don't be so materialistic. It's like you get that luxury when your basic life needs are met. If you're not making enough to meet those basic life needs, that's a real arrogant position to come from to tell people to not be materialistic. Um, so I will get off my soapbox about that. Is it getting a little slippery up there? I know. <laughs> I'm taking my blood pressure medication. I just need to make sure that I'm not doing anything that's going to get me off track. I don't want my doctor to yell at me to be like, are we going to have to go up on this? I'm like, I'm thinking about social injustice and it gets me all fired up. It's like, well, maybe you need to meditate every time you do that. I can't, I'm in the middle of a podcast. I can't meditate every time I get fired up about social injustice. Um, but yes, I will take a deep breath. And now we're going to segue into how can you manifest your freaky self? If you're deciding to stay at your current position, if you're just not really looking to try to find another job, if you maybe like a lot about what's going on, but maybe not everything, I found this really cool article by this um, gentleman at Forbes. He's a contributing writer. His name is Jack Zinger. And so, you know, we'll be like, oh, he got a name like he should be in a rock band. I enjoyed that. Um, so he wrote an article that I took some information from that's called, Why Are You Still Working? Finding the Passion and Purpose That Fuels Your Career. So he, he was writing from the perspective of like, okay, like you're going to stay at your job, but maybe it's stale. Maybe it's not so great. What can you do? And of course, if you choose to go read his entire article, it's online. It's a lot more wealth of information, but I wanted to hit some of these high notes because it really was fascinating. So he talks about saying, okay, you're at your job. How do you move it to the next level? And he really advocated for you looking at the CPO uh, model, building competence, passion, but linking that to organizational need. So again, competence, passion and organizational need. So, and if you've ever worked in corporate America, you know, this is the shit that they geek out over. And so if you have a healthy culture in a workplace, they have structures built in to help you with this. So let's say you're at a current skill level at your position. Can you increase your confidence? Can you gain more mastery? Can you move your skills to the next level? So healthy big places will be like, hey, we'll pay for some, like if you want to go back and get a certification or get another degree, we'll do like student loan stuff and like support you and, and give you financial reimbursement for tuition. Um, they'll help like I've- Or at the very places, least so. give you some, adjustments and flexibility mm -hmm. in your schedule exactly to make that happen um you know because mm -hmm. it's going to be really hard to, to to make it to class on time if you're five minutes out the door and they uh, drop a three-day project on your desk. And that's, again, um, like circling back around to that having a healthy workplace makes all the difference. Like uh, the healthy workplace really will say like, so we'll pay for this. We will give you some flexibility in your schedule if you need to like go do a um you know, uh, uh, on-site class for your online, you know, program. If you have to take like three weeks out of the year to go do something on-site, we'll let you have that three weeks off and not make you use paid time off. Like that's what a healthy workplace looks like. Now, unhealthy workplaces will say, we're going to force you to build your competence. And like, I literally had a client not six weeks ago that was, um, we're working on boundary setting and it's going really well, but like her workplace is like, yeah, you got all these modules. And she was like, um, like what are these modules oh you have to maintain competency and there are new like criteria and so everybody's having to do these and she's like okay so what projects am I going to put on hold during my 40 hour week to do these and they wouldn't say it to her directly but what they kept doing is pushing back and essentially being like oh no we expect you to go home and do this over the weekend and I was so proud of my client you don't understand how proud I was she was like okay I'll get to that on Monday like she essentially like in no uncertain terms was like, I can get that you're trying to tell me you want me to go like work my 45, 50 hour week at corporate America, but still have these done by a certain date and time. And the only way that would happen and me still get my daily work done is for me to go home and do it at night and do it on the weekend. And I got a family and I have a life. 
So I'm not doing it. And she, in a very nice, appropriate way, was like, and, you know, if I don't get it done by the deadline, just know I've done everything I could during my 40-hour week to work on this as projects were permitting. But, like, be aware, like, this timeline might not work. And for the longest time at her job, like, she was scared to do that. But, um, like, she she just had to get to a place with healthy boundaries. And I said, 99% of the time, everybody won't set those limits with corporate America because they're terrified they're going to get fired most times they won't fire you <laughs> because they're smart enough to realize they'll open themselves up to litigation. If they are really trying to work you, like it's a wage and hour violation to really give you so much work. It could not be done within a standard week, even if you're a salaried employee. Um, so they're, they'll push you as far as you let them. So that might be a podcast that we and do. If one you're day. confident, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, if you're confident, they have to worry if we lose you. Can we replace, is it going to take you people to replace you? And And that's that's one of the questions that a coach might ask you is if you were happy and you're not now, what's changed? Is the change in you Mm -hmm. or is there a change in culture? Is it a change in staffing? Um, And and it's not an easy question to answer. You're not going to work it out in one session, but if something has changed, what has changed? How has it changed? Um, what has the impact been of that change? And then when you figure out all of those answers, then you can figure out a course of action. Um, but you're starting to see some positive change now um, in that, you know, you have somebody that's in charge, that's starting to, they're starting to create positions where somebody looks at what's the underlying culture, because it may not be that your job or your career track um, is the problem. It could be that um, you're sort of the right person on the right track, but the train is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> and you just need to get on a different train with a different conductor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something to, to consider. It may not be that you don't uh, love coding or maybe customer service really is your thing and you love helping old people figure out how to fix their fix their smartphone, but maybe just not where you are. Um, And company culture can have more of an impact, I think, than people sometimes realize, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, because sometimes it really isn't you. (laughs) No, I mean, I've had it be almost like a switch was flipped. Like I've had clients because you, you know, big organizations, if I hear hear the word reorg one more time for some of these big businesses, I'm like, like, what are y'all, do you not just realize it's chaos, but like, that's a big thing in corporate America now. It's like, we've done a reorg and we've reallocated human resources under this new manager. And I've had it be like, somebody's like, I got to get out of there. I hate all this every day. I'm throwing up because I have to go to this job. I'm getting like, you know, reviews that say I'm, I'm inconsistently meeting expectations and then just bam, a reorg happened and they have a new manager and all of a sudden they love their job again. Because I was like, you're, it wasn't the job itself. It was the fact that you had somebody who never acknowledged anything you did was right, never gave you any credit for what you did, did not support you in any professional growth, um, would not help you if there was something that was beyond your competence. Like, it's a big thing in, in corporate America right now that if somebody's a bad manager or if they want to be very passive aggressive to you to give you work tasks to do without giving you the resources to do it. Like to, I've had so many clients that were like new to a team, like they got switched to a new job. And for whatever reason, their manager was, didn't like them, or maybe was mad that they got put on their team or what, who knows, but they would be like, so like, I've never done this process before. And they would go to their boss and their boss like, well, you should know how to do that. And it's like, actually, I should know how to do it because I'm new to this, but I don't like, could you help me? And then I saw it trickle down that like everybody else on the team saw how the manager shut the person down when they asked for help. And they would actually start like when my client would like go to other people, the team to be like, Hey, do you have this information? Hey, do you know how to do this? Which you're supposed to reach out to your team for help if you don't know how to do something. And they would all start coming back at her too, being like, you should already know how to do that. And would tattle on her to the overall manager being like, she's interrupting the workflow of my day, asking for assistance. And I knew this person was highly intelligent, highly competent, 
And like, she got so stressed out because she ended up having to figure out a workaround to go to like people in other departments that would actually be helpful and would like give her some assistance. She got in trouble for reaching outside of the department because it made her manager look bad. And then she finally did like a step level, like meeting with somebody where she got to be authentic about this is the limitation I'm experiencing. It was the boss of her boss which I love that corporate America is doing that occasionally now. It's like meeting with your boss's boss for a one-to-one. And all of a sudden it magically stopped and she got a promotion and because she was competent, there's a difference between not being competent versus you're new to a task and you just need to be given an opportunity to build the skill set. Um, so again, like all this is circling around, like if you are competent and want to build your competence, like that's one thing hopefully your workplace supports that, but do not internalize negative beliefs about yourself that if something's not going well at your job, it's that I'm stupid, I'm lazy, I'm just not good at this, I don't know how to do it. Have a very critical eye that evaluates your role. And yes, like if you like are not doing your job well, I'm all about owning your shit and you need to figure out how to do your job better. <laughs> or if your personality ultimately doesn't fit with the job and you're never going to do it well because you hate the nature of the work, then that responsibility falls to you to figure out how to go and have a job you love instead of being mad at a workplace for not wanting to pay you to suck at your job. Like, so own your shit, own it, but also use a critical eye and see if there are things happening in the dynamic in your workplace that might be kind of undermining you as well. It's not always about your competence, but if you want to stay there, build it, go take classes, go learn more, take yourself from point A to point B. Mastery for the sake of itself can just be fun to just get to a place to be like, I'm the bomb diggity at this. Watch me go now. But that like the stuff that you're going to take the time to go from point A to point B, build that competence. You probably going to have to have some passion in it because that's going to take a lot of time and energy. So these things are just so like, so linked that if you don't like it, like if you don't have any element of your job that you look forward to, it's going to be a little bit hard to find the energy to outside of work hours, you know, building your competency, doing more, going above and beyond. So, okay. You might not be passionate about your whole job, but if you want to stay in the job, can you find some elements that you're passionate about something that you enjoy? And I did recently have a client, we were talking about this kind of stuff. And she was super brave. And she went to her boss and was like, hey, you gave me all these work tasks just so you know I don't like them as much. Um, so I'm probably not going to shine for you. I'll do it to the best of my ability, but I'm probably not going to shine. I probably just need to let you know that I enjoyed these work tasks better. And you're really going to get 120% of me if you dedicate a lot more of these work tasks. And initially her boss was like, who the hell do you think you are trying to tell me what parts of your job you like and you don't like? And she got real assertive and was just like, I'm trying to to advise you as my boss how to get the best out of me so take it or leave it like I'm gonna do my job no matter what that with the task you give me and sorry if you hear a little something in the background we're having some plumbing work done today thank goodness oh my <laughs> so so if you do hear a little we didn't think they were actually going to like fix it today but we got lucky and I'm not telling them to leave uh because when you got a leaky toilet if they can fix it right now let them fix it right now because <laughs> it's talking about like plumbers I love you could you please come to my house I I wouldn't know how to fix that leaky toilet but thank you so much that you can do it so so I do apologize if that's in the background I'm really hoping that my mic really close to my mouth is um, canceling out some of that noise but you know find if you don't love your whole job find what elements of your job you can be excited about and um, that last one of the CPO model organizational need I have seen bosses like lose their mind and like fall in love with an employee that was like, Hey, I looked over stuff and it seems like this needs to happen and this needs to happen. And Hey boss, don't you have a performance improvement initiative that you wanted our department to do A, B, C, or D. I have some creative, unique ideas about how we might be able to get there. So finding this intersection between like where your organization needs to grow, where your organization is, is like, you know, failing or faltering in some way and using your mind and your creativity and your unique ideas to figure out how to address those needs and you initiating that conversation with your boss and taking, you know, some of that initiative. Now, my only, only issue with that 
is, I hate to say, but does come back to that compensation. I have a, a, like a, a real issue as an educator and a professor. All the places I work where I'm an adjunct, and if we're just being like real honest, I don't hardly get paid anything to be an adjunct to all these places. Like adjuncts were, an, you know, originally intended to be given a stipend as a thank you for them to come and share their wisdom and knowledge. It was never intended for adjuncts to be a full-time job. So they're still not paid like a real job. They're paid like they're paying your gas money and for you to have a meal when you come talk to their students. So all the schools I teach for, oh, they are at my back with innovation and education. And I have all these different degrees and certifications about how to use technology. No matter what I do to enhance my class, I will never be paid more. And so somebody teaching another section of general psychology that does the bare bones shittiest version of teaching the class is going to be paid exactly the same amount that I get paid for taking a hundred hours building the most super awesome technologically advanced course ever. And also just being really practical, I don't own that intellectual property. When I create a course for a school, they own that intellectual property. And I've had this happen to me more than once and there's nothing I can do about it. I've come up with awesome assignments. I found awesome videos and interact and created stuff. And the next thing I know, it shows up in the master shell for what everybody in their online class is doing and the person who like disseminates that is now integrating my ideas into this new course and I got paid nothing for it and I get no copyright to it because I did it as part of my role as an adjunct instructor for the school so that's another like yeah like meet the organizational need but also like think about yourself and your intellectual property and I feel like that's a big reason that a lot of businesses will lose really great people who end up going out on their own um, or who go to other companies is because it's like well there is creation for the sake of creation and trying to find joy in your job. But there's also like, I don't advocate for my clients doing tons of work. They're not getting paid for. Um, it just like, it's like, know your value and know your worth and have that expectation that it's going to enhance your life and your family's life because you have more revenue. Um, so just watch out for that work-life balance is what I'm saying. And hopefully yeah, you really got to check in with your value system and just remember what you do impacts the other people um, in, your, in your life. And that's something you really, really, really uh, need to think about. You're not just, uh, it, it's not always just, I'm just going the extra mile, putting in an extra hour um, for your employer. You know, are you missing something important? Um, elsewhere. And there is this concept of entrepreneurship where you become invested enough emotionally with an employer um, that you take on the emotional load of being a part owner. And there are some good elements to that. Uh, the, the caveat to that is that entrepreneurs have a tendency to become workaholics um, and to forget to make sure that when they go the extra mile, that that is recognize. So if you are somebody who leans that way, you need to make sure that that emotional passion for your job or career meets up with the appropriate company culture. Because if it doesn't, you're going to get yourself into a burnout situation. Um, an entrepreneur needs to meet up with a company culture that's going to insist on work-life balance mm -hmm. um, and one of those companies that are like, um, excuse me, we noticed you haven't used your vacation time. Get your butt out of here. Um, so that's the thing that you need to keep in mind uh, when, when you lean uh, that way and just being married for quite a minute um, to somebody who leans toward entrepreneurship. Um, that's just one of those things that you, you want to keep in mind if you're somebody that leans that way, uh, you know, check in with your values, check in with your partner. Don't, don't, uh, don't forget that you do impact other people in your life. Uh, so you want to, you know, not that it's a bad thing, but all things in bad, all things in moderation, including moderation. 
Yep. I mean, that balance, like, I feel like that is a dead horse that we, you know, beat a lot of balance, balance, balance. It is so easy for things to get out of balance. Like we talk about getting out of balance when you hate your job, but it can get out of balance when you really love it too. I mean, I just, my, my husband is so geeky about his stuff and half the stuff that he does professionally, I don't even get. I'm just like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't understand stock market or legal stuff. I'm sorry, but I'm going to just nod and just listen. But he'll get like, mm, like got to do 8 million tons of research and wants to read 8 million books about it. And I'll be like, hi, we're having family time. Put down your iPad right now. <laughs> I love you. Put down your iPad because your son is standing in front of you and you think he's being naughty. And our son is just 18 months and smart enough to know that if he re reaches up and grabs your iPad and smears his gooey little fingers all over it, you stop reading for a second so that's just a smart baby and you need to put it down and you need to get on that floor and play with that baby play with that baby um mm -hmm. so yeah work life balance very very cool and like the gentleman who wrote this article i i was really impressed by him because he like the title of his like why like why are you still working because he said he got that question like because he is 89 and people are like like what's going on and so he added like a little personal note to writing this article about like just like looking at a lot of philosophy neuroscience everything about it about like human motivation and being passionate about your job and, and really you know being excited about it. it tends to be all this about um we need autonomy we feel good when we have competence or mastery at our work we like relatedness and we do like purpose like so that's why again i get a little cringy if people say they don't have any passion or purpose in their job because it's like so much of the research supports it's just like you spend too many hours at your job to not be like to find some passion or purpose in it. Um, but again, like you need some autonomy. We don't do well as people when we're micromanaged at our job and like building that confidence and mastery over something is very, very fulfilling for us. Um, and he, you know, looked at like philosophical stuff and said that, you know, we need this, you know, kind of balance and to generate positive feelings from love, work and play. So again, like work is an element of your life that you need your well filled up, you need your emotional reserves built just as much as your love life and, and playing and spending time with family and friends. Um, and overall, he, he talked, and I feel like this might vary from individual to individual how much you need this, but he liked his work because it helped him maintain a connection to other people. So that basic human connection and relatedness and contact. So having work colleagues that he touched base with. Now, I'm such a people person. I totally get that. Like, I don't question it at all, but I do look at um, people who are a dyed-in-the-wool introvert like my husband, and he's like, too much peopling stresses me out. So he actually does prefer for his work to be as solo and autonomous as possible. Although like, even with that being said, and some of the legal work he's done, he's actually made really good friendships with people that he's reached out to, to collaborate with. So it's not like even introverted people don't have any need for relatedness. It's just somewhat diminished as compared to extroverted people, persons. Um, and then he ended up part of his um, article with a really cool quote from Dickens, the Christmas Carol. He talks about kind of at the end um, when Scrooge and Marley are talking and Scrooge tells Marley that he was a man of business, but Marley said business mankind was my business. So for people like Sookie and I who are life coaches, like we do have that really fortunate that um, people and other people's purpose and happiness is our business. So we got lucky, lucky, lucky. Um, so there is that now, you know, a lot of this also kind of ties into the pandemic and this is going to kind of segue us into information about like saying, okay, you're done working with corporate America. You're done working with the big job. You've done your work with your life coach. And that's the determination you've made is that there, there isn't good culture at your workplace, or you finally open yourself up to the possibility that the type of work really just does not bring you passion or purpose. That is not the job that your soul was meant for. What if you want to step out and find your freaky self being an entrepreneur? Like that is an uh, an option. And again, Forbes was just bringing it today. Uh, a council member member at Forbes wrote this article that I'm referencing. Um, in um, he wrote it in August of 2020, so kind of dead center in COVID last year, uh, and it's called "The Importance of Creativity in Business." And this is where he actually, the author Josh Felber, refers to himself as a serial entrepreneur 
entrepreneur. So I guess that means he's like been in and out a lot of different businesses, but his um, observation. Yeah, they tend to found, launch, sell, start again. Yeah. They get bored very easily. (laughs) But if that's your thing, like if that's your thing, that's your thing. Like I flip houses. (laughs) Yeah, like it's kind of like the business version of flipping houses. And if you're good at it, I'm sure it's incredibly lucrative. That's outside of my purview, but I'm sure it's incredibly lucrative if you do it well. And again, if that's your passion, build something up, sell it to somebody else and let them go. If that's the creativity of of starting it up, then why not? That's awesome. I see myself more as a small business owner that like I've created and just dug it in and never released something than just add a new business line of business to it is what I tend to do. So yeah, I I don't know if that's considered being a serial entrepreneur because I don't like close something out and move on to the next. I just diversify my my businesses so to speak but yeah um but he says he considers successful entrepreneurs as being these are his words a perfect amalgamation of creativity and business and uh, my phd is in industrial organizational psychology and because i am a geek and i like to learn i also have done like a bunch of human resources work for law firms and and restaurants and other small businesses so i actually went also got a certification um, for um, the society for human resource management as like a hr professional and part Part of that, like getting that certification, she had to understand about businesses and business life cycles. And that was something they really talked about um, that surprised me because I had never really read that much about the research is that for a business to stay viable, um, like you have to be creative. Like it really has to be that you're constantly like reevaluating and reinventing or else the business who doesn't do that, who has no element of creativity or market research or reinventing themselves, like they can actually do a trajectory of the life cycle of the business from life until death. So if you are trying to create your own business and you want it to be a business that survives, you almost have to like have this mental process about like, creativity and bringing my unique voice to it is not optional. Like it has to be a part of my business model. And like Suki and I, when we were going through our courses um, for life coaching and, and being an entrepreneur in that level, uh, like we got beat over the head with, you got it. Like a lot of your business is you like as a life coach, people are making a connection with you. So it is, it is definitely not optional for you to not find your voice, like find exactly what you're bringing to the table as a life coach, like that, like be your freaky self was beat over our head. Um, and I love that. But I feel like for a lot of other people in their businesses, they're like, I just want to start up a, like a bicycle shop. And so I just do that, right? It's like, well, no, like, how are you going to put a different spin on it? How do you know there are people that like cycling in the area that you want to start your shop? Like, what are you going to do to make it different and new and interesting and compete with the other 50 million bike shops? There's so much of that about like having to bring your own voice to it. How are you going to put a unique spin on it? Then as culture and society changes, how will you continue to evolve your business to meet the ever evolving needs of culture and society? So like, and, the, and if God forbid, you know, what you're doing isn't working. Uh-oh, medicine alert. Um, this is what happens when you're bipolar people. You got to take your meds. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Sauce. <laughs> right. uh, uh, you know, you have to be prepared to pivot, to adjust, to adapt. Um, you know, this is just kind of the thing. But the nice thing is when you're a creative person, when you embrace your freakydom, you can do that because you're not too rigid. Um, if you've never heard of Blockbuster, that's because they didn't adapt and adjust in time and they are no longer in business. <laughs> so yeah. there's a whole um, documentary on that right now, talking about yeah. all that stuff. It's fast. <laughs> the last blockbuster. Um, if you didn't know that Netflix used to actually deliver DVDs to you in the mail, it's because Netflix adapted and adjusted. Mm-hmm. And that is why, you know, they're number one in streaming. Um but when people get stuck and in business and they're not able to, you know, break out of that old thing, what they call blue ocean strategies, when they're stuck in this is what everybody else is doing and they're not able to go over to the deep end of the pool where nobody else is and, tre- and try new things, 
you know, they, that's when their businesses go under. Um, and so this is an advantage. You're uh, being an outsider, you're doing things differently is an advantage, not a disadvantage. Um, and you got to reach in and embrace that, especially when you're small, uh, because that's the thing that's going to help you to stand out. Now, to, to kind of piggyback on that a bit, but to add in um, kind of a caveat of something else I get on a soapbox about is anytime somebody starts shit talking life coaches, they'll, they'll put it in this like context of you're overly optimistic and they'll like for when it comes to like being an entrepreneur and starting small, this percentage of businesses fail in this amount of time and blah, 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 blah. And you life coaches are out there just like telling people to follow their passion and purpose and you're just being cheerleaders and you're like encouraging people to make bad decisions for their life. Like that is the, the ugliest kind of discussions I get in with people is that they accuse life coaches of being like overly optimistic. I just wanted to take a moment to say, and at no point when we're advocating for, for individuals who cannot be happy in their jobs in corporate America, or maybe just have this driving passion to go out and start their own business. Um, at no point are we advocating for you to do poor risk management. Like I'm a scientist. I'm a psychologist. I am grounded in research, but a lot of people like feel like it's either or either. I just go four sheets to the wind and go crazy and follow my dream. Or I'm practical and grounded and just get a corporate job and make an income, but I'm never truly happy. There are so many different variations of that, but I, I'm, I'm very grounded. Please do not go and like do anything that's beyond what you could financially cope with. I feel like all of us, as we follow our dreams, still have to realistically approach risk management and finances. So just to be clear, as we are advocating for you to follow your passion and purpose, this is not implicitly saying take that college fund that you had for your kids and say, sorry, like I'm going to take this and start my new business. No, like it really needs to be when you're being brave to try to figure out what you want to do with your life. You're still grounded. Um, Ain't no shame in a side hustle, baby. No, Lots of businesses started as a side hustle. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who tends to be risk averse, that is... (laughs) where I land. I have heard many a story of people who are like, I went into $300,000 in debt and then I lost it all. And, you know, I was nine months pregnant and then my card was declined at the grocery store. Girlfriend, that ain't me. Mm-hmm. No, no. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the risk it all, put the house up uh, on the third more no 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 and you know, now so you know there are many many ways to get started there is nothing wrong with being a tortoise on the slow and steady track yes Exactly. So I did just want to, because I do feel like, um, like I've had people approach me and be like, I feel like I've had a life coach that was like a car and artist and wasn't really. And when I investigated with them to be like, like, really tell me a little bit more about that. Um, there, there was like a failure to, to have that element of grounding. Now with life coaches, like there is an element of respecting your own choices. Like, so no, a life coach is not going to be like, what you stupid getting that third mortgage, stop it. Because to a certain extent for a life coach, it's not my business. Like, it's like, if, if you express hesitation, I'll say, let's explore that. And what would that risk really look like? I'll go there with you. But if you don't bring it up, I am not going to be the crusher of your dreams because I have like respect for the autonomy of my client and respect for my client's ability to evaluate their overall risk. So don't mistake respecting a client's desire to bring you their concerns and their ability to autonomously manage their risk with like unrealistic positive expectations for life. Like, no, it's just, I'm sorry. Like most people in your life that bring you realistic expectations, that's a manifestation of their limiting beliefs. Um, and that, that shit we're not bringing into life coaching. I'm not just going to be another person and be like, but do you really think you can do that? Because guess what? I know you can, because people are amazingly intelligent if they get out of their own friggin' way 99% of the time. Um, but when you need to explore 
possible limitations, possible obstacles. That's what a life coach can support you in doing. We're not going to throw the obstacles in your face. So I just feel like some people confuse that and respecting their client's autonomy with being an unrealistic cheerleader who gives like is giving their client unrealistic goals and expectations. And that's just not the case. So I will again, get off my soapbox about that. Um, but overall, like for, for this article that was written by um, Josh Felber, you know, encouraging you to use creativity in your business to help it to thrive, uh, whether you're a slow and steady tortoise of an entrepreneur like Sookie and I, or if you're a serial entrepreneur like him, who's going to like create stuff and, and pass it off and move it, move it along. But he reinforced that with COVID-19, like in us really getting to see the world culture and society change very quickly in a short amount of time, it almost magnified how obvious it is that you got to always be ready to be creative. And of course, if, if creativity has to be a part of your business, why wouldn't you be creative in a way that manifests your freakiness, your uniqueness, and is going to allow you to find even more passion and purpose in the work you do, because it so fits with who you are as a person. Um, so like, you know, why not turn this COVID-19 stress into something useful? And I've seen so many therapists do that. I, I have started telling my clients, hi, I know I'm vaccinated and you're vaccinated vaccinated, but I'm not going back into the office <laughs> because I'm going to be more creative about how I balance work and life. And I've just got too many hours back in the day from not commuting. Like I just, I really thought about, no, I had made my commuting positive. Um, I had had books on tape, my podcast, like I had made it positive, but also like I hadn't had my kid yet. Like I only worked in office for about two months after I had my son. And then I was at home all the time. And now for work-life balance, I cannot imagine not being able to see my husband and son all day long. Like I love between appointments being like, you want to grab some lunch? What you doing? Can I have a hug? Can I have a kiss? I, I can't imagine letting that go now. Um, so, and I've spoke with several other therapists who were like, yeah, like if you'd asked me two years ago, if I was ever going to do complete telehealth, I'd have been like, no. And like, like several of my colleagues are like, yeah, I'm never going back in the office. It's all virtual now because the work-life balance is too awesome. So like I'm struggling right now with the creativity that I've always loved working with children and doing play therapy and how I'm going to convert, um, doing more play activities, um, virtually with kids, like, um, like a sand tray is something that we do a lot of, um, and about like, if I'm going to like have to like mail a sand tray with certain toys to a child and integrate more of their parents into the play to control the technology and the interactions. But that's just showing like, I'm, I'm going to have a job that works more for me, aligns more with my work-life balance and my passion, my purpose, um, but bringing in that creativity to, to evolve it into something that's more practical in this day and age. So COVID-19, so many negatives and horrors related to it, but also just that real escalation of um, showing us sometimes you got to be creative and, and be comfortable altering your life for, to make it fit for you. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of stories or heard a lot of stories just because I am such a public radio nerd of <laughs> people that have turned um, what were hobbies um, into businesses or side hustles that have become full-time businesses. I saw a story about a lady that, you know, started making homemade Pop-Tarts and you know, she was just trying to pay the bills and now she's making homemade Pop-Tarts full time. Oh my God, I haven't had lunch yet. Why are you saying Pop-Tarts to me? Pop-Tarts. <laughs> oh, those are one of my weaknesses and homemade ones. I'll even like those, the stale crap. Like Pop-Tarts are so delicious. I'm like, mm, just like, mm. so I might try homemade Pop-Tarts, Pop but mm. I don't like, I don't like like regular Pop-Tarts. I think they taste like cardboard. Well, I'm a weirdo. First of all, I will not have any of the frosted Pop-Tarts. And like, everybody looks at me like, what do you mean? I'm like, I, okay, this may be gross to some people, but I know some people do this too. So I'm not the only one. I like the strawberry Pop-Tarts. You heat them in the toaster, you put butter on them. It will. I've not heard that. It will almost immediately give you diabetes, but. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard Paula Townsend talk about like, Break, heating them up, breaking them up and putting them in a bowl with, or since so she knew somebody that would like put them in a bowl with milk and she's like, 
that's not a she's like that's not a snack that's a meal there's more than three steps of cooking no i mean (laughs) but i mean like i have like one time i looked at the calories i was like oh sweet jesus like butter on top of a pop tart like are you just like you might as well just like directly like inject sucrose like into your bloodstream like it is ridiculous but that shit's delicious like a hot (laughs) strawberry pop tart with a pat of butter on top Mm. Oh my God, devil! You do like pop tarts yeah. with like a statin chaser. Yeah. <laughs> I just take my metformin with the pop tart. Thank you so much. But but oh yeah, so you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have said pop tarts to me. I I am trying to be healthy. My salad is waiting for me downstairs when we finish this podcast. And now I'm gonna be like, have you seen the memes of people like on diets and they will have like the bacon or something? They'll like. <sighs> huff the bacon and eat the salad. <laughs> I haven't got to that point yet, but I think I'm close today. I think I'm very close today of like going and buying Pop-Tarts and like smelling, like putting butter on it and smelling the butter and the strawberry in the center and then eating my salad and then butter and strawberry eating the salad. So, oh my goodness. But how awesome for her though, to be like, Hey, I'm good at cooking. I'm good at making like homemade Pop-Tarts. And now this is going to go from being like, you know, a hobby to something that's actually generates income. So interesting, interesting. So I thought I would throw in my quick rundown of some uh, pop culture references of people who have actually taken their unique uh, interests and talents and turned them into thriving careers, some of my personal favorites. So Malcolm Gladwell um, is one of my favorite writers. You can find David and Goliath talking to strangers and outliers. Mary Roach, who's a science writer, um, well known for her one title books, Stiff Spook, and my personal favorite, Bonk, a book all about sex research. It is hilarious. She is is, so awesome. Yeah, the cover of Bonk is two ladybugs getting it on. So funny. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Stephen Dubner and Stephen Levitt, um, they are the writers of the Freakonomics book series, Own Them All. Um, and they also host radio show slash podcast of the same name. I'm going to butcher this name. Shankar Vedantam. He wrote the book Useful Delusions. That's his most recent one. His first book was called Hidden Brain. That got him an interview on NPR, which got him a radio show and now a podcast of the same name. Hidden Brain is an amazing show. If you're a psychology geek, check out the podcast. It's awesome. Um, if you're looking for uh, research on business ideas. Check out Guy Raz's um, How I Built This. If you've got little people, Wow in the World is a show he co-hosts with another lady. It's really good science programming for little people. But um, How I Built This uh, started out as a radio show and podcast, not necessarily in that order. Don't quote me. And he also has a book now. But it's all about how different people started their businesses, overcame trials and tribulations. Um, and eventually became successful. And that includes nonprofits because a nonprofit technically is a business. It's just a business with um, a social good objective. And that counts as entrepreneurship. Um, so now I'm going to lean into the creative arts because these are some of my favorite people. Bob Ross, the painter in his happy little clouds. I'm so um, obsessed with him. We're just going to make that a happy tree. Yeah, and happy little accidents, (laughs) happy little accidents. So Bob Ross, um, uh, he started out painting. He painted, he had a show on public television. Turns out he never got paid for a single episode. What? What? All volunteer. Um, And you can actually get a Bob Ross painting franchise where you teach other people to paint like Bob Ross. How awesome is that? That's so amazing. That's so amazing. And um, I love watching the shows where like he has like the the squirrels he adopted. So I just love him. Like I don't have to paint. I just need to put him on and like meditate his voice. It's very now. Was it him or am I misremembering that he had people that regularly wrote in to him? And like if somebody who regularly wrote him a letter did not like write or call, like he followed up with them to be like, are you okay? I haven't heard from you. Like, was that him or am I thinking about? I think that was Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. Okay. But don't no, quote yeah. me. It could have okay. been both. It could have been, been both. Yeah. They're both awesome that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and Mr. Rogers actually is another one. I should have put him on there. Mr. Rogers definitely took his own unique research and interest in speaking to kids and totally revolutionized uh, television for children. So he's actually a good one because that show is all about, Mr. Rogers show was all about really speaking to children in a very, he was the first one that was like, turned to the camera, broke the fourth wall, mm -hmm. um, talking to children like human beings instead of in that sort of high-pitched voice. Yeah, giving so, them permission to talk about uncomfortable topics like divorce and anger. And yeah. now I know this was Mr. Rogers. He fed the goldfish on this show and he had a child who was visually impaired. And so she was very worried the fish weren't getting fed, get, you know, being fed. So he made a point of saying out loud when he fed the fish so she would know they were getting fed. <gasps> oh my God, it's yeah. so sweet and wholesome. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then um, putting his feet in the same pool with the black mailman because they were having an issue with integrating pools. Yeah. So he's, yeah, Mr. Mr. Rogers, love him. And it could be because I love them and I'm slightly obsessed. It could be because I was listening to them getting ready for this podcast morning, but Outcast oh, um, so definitely so brought good. together uh, their unique passions and voices and to make a really awesome duo. Prince, ah, uh, my hero, um, may he rest. Uh, Gabby Ashon, I don't know anything about fashion. But if you look up her clothes, they're definitely unique and distinctive. She has a very, very passionate following. Um, I will forever be t-shirt, jeans, polos kind of chick. <laughs> but if you love that kind of stuff, um, you know, there's a lot of very people who have very distinct. Betsy Johnson, I think, is a, another one who's got a very distinct uh, uh, aesthetic that people are passionate about. Tim Burton, when it comes to film um, and his claymation, uh, and then also the uh, early Batman films that he did and Beetlejuice. So he's got a very distinct way of looking at the world uh, that's really translated into some hit films. Hayao Miyazaki, who founded Studio Ghibli. Yes. So you're talking Kiki's Delivery Service, Ponyo, Princess Monoki. He really brought a whole new level to um, uh, what was then called Japanime, but now we just, it's just animation with full length films again targeted to the whole family uh really respected uh children and he loved making girls the superheroes so he really was the first to make girls the stars and superheroes and yes i've mentioned them before but it deserves mentioning again black violin bringing classical and hip-hop together and i was just listening to their album yesterday shout out to al green who gets a feature so that's love um Stephen King is probably one of the best known for bringing um, the art of, you know, deep literary themes and marrying it with what would be normally considered genre. Dita Von Teese uh, for bringing back burlesque, but you can't mention Dita Von Teese and burlesque without mentioning the original queen of burlesque, Gypsy Rose Lee, mm -hmm. who's probably, uh, whose story is probably best known from uh, the musical, gypsy but here's somebody who had uh the stage mom to end all stage moms but she had no formal education um she didn't really know how to dance or how to sing um she was in burlesque which meant she only made them think that she was naked on stage because <laughs> you know she's good at that sleight of hand thing and yet she built a career um out of, out of you know borderline dirty jokes and entertainment and that's what she did she she found the thing that made her unique and she built a life and a career out of it um and we're still talking about her today uh and you know men went to their graves swearing that they'd seen some little bit of this and that of gypsy rose lee and she was never naked on stage that takes talent um and so normally this is when I throw in exercises for you. It's a little bit tricky with business because there's no real straight line. It really exercise. is just so diverse. Like, yeah, it's just, it's so unique to each person. Like even in what we talked about today, we have the two main branches. Like you could be staying at a job. You could be starting your own business. It could be that you're staying at a job and starting a side hustle. Like it's, it's almost like at this juncture, you want some exercises, get yourself a life coach. <laughs> yeah. The, the best thing I can tell you is just where to start, which is make two lists the things you're good at 
and the things that you love, that you're passionate about. Think about the question you would ask yourself is this, if money were not an obstacle and you knew you couldn't fail, what would you wake up tomorrow and do every single day? And give yourself plenty of time to think about that question. That's a good place to start. And if you can figure that out, then start doing your research about how do I turn that or something like that into a way to make a living? Um, and it's going to take some time to think. It's going to take some time to research, but that's that's the best place I can think of to tell you to start. Um, you know, um, and other than that, just sort of do a mind map uh, or, or a list of things I love, things I'm good at, and see if you can find a way to marry some things on that list somewhere in the middle. Um, but it's hard. This is one of those cases where just giving you a list of exercises is a little bit trickier because let's face it, um, you know, the Beatles said all you need is love, but last I checked, I can't pay my mortgage with it. You need cash. So <laughs> uh, that's that's the thing. And the other thing to keep in mind with, with a business, if you're starting small, you're going to be cheap cook and bottle washer most likely. So you got it's got to be something where 85% of it you're going to love, but you got to be willing to do that 15% that you don't. Yep. Looking at you, Facebook. Don't like oh, you Oh, God, all. yeah. <laughs> it is not yeah. that most Suki and I are projecting on to that because we've both <laughs> been talking about for our coaching businesses doing the nuts, nuts and bolts of things that we hate. Because if we had it our way, we just have tons of people to work with every day. And maybe one day we'll just have our, our social media people taking care of all the junk that we don't want to do. But we're not quite there yet. We're we're small yeah. entrepreneurs still. We don't have big giant businesses yeah. just yet. Yeah. But that, if you, would, you, know, if you open up a restaurant sooner or later you gotta empty the fat traps and clean the toilets it's just part of the deal so you got to be willing to kick in that 15 percent. so they're just it's just one of those things where my normal list of exercises isn't going to quite cut it but i can give you a sort of a place to start and uh wish you luck on finding a place to finish that you love but if you do like like we said like life coaching is so uniquely tailored if you do want to reach out to to either me or suki to see about like okay like let me find my unique path um you can get me at email at mistymarlow.com or go to my website and actually link up to schedule an appointment you can do a 15 minute just free chat you can do a package, you can do a single session, you have lots of different options for how you can explore whether or not life coaching might be great for you. That website again is www.mistymarlow.com and that is Marlo with an E, M-A-R-L-O-W-E or email at mistymarlow.com. And Suki, why don't you tell them how they get in touch with you? You can check out my website at Wild Essentia. That's W-Y-L-D-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A.com. Or you could reach me at intros, I-N-T-R-O-S, at wildessentia.com. Um, and you will find uh, not only my email address, but also a phone number that you can reach me at. If I don't answer, feel free to leave me a message. Ta-da, awesome sauce. So take us out, Suki. And like my grandmother always used to say, if you can't be good, be good at it. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. We'll see you next time.